1: of thousands of people take part in the march as a celebration of the LGBT community today. It's great
2: to see so many people, families, so many different colours. I just want to say to Belfast to enjoy themselves today. It's all that's what it's about, the of Fun. But also for just for equality for everyone.
1: But that certainly wasn't the case when the first Belfast Pride was held in 1991, in a Northern Ireland which was much less tolerant and understanding.
2: It, I remember at the first parade, I was absolutely shaken, because there was maybe less than 100 of us. We were going up Royal Avenue, we had police outriders and everything else.
1: How did Pride grow into the massive event it is now? And why is it still so important to the LGBT plus community?
2: Many LGBTQI plus people still face stigma, still face shame in relation to their sexual orientation or gender identity. Pride is simply about that.
1: Where it came from and where it's going. I find out from Terry McFarlane, who was a volunteer with the Northern Ireland Gay Rights Association. He was one of the few people on the first Belfast Pride March. And John O'Doherty is a director of the Rainbow Project and is involved in Pride today. How did Pride start in Belfast?
0: Pride started in Belfast at a meeting in May 1991 when a young man suggested that we have Pride in Belfast rather than sending contingents, which we were doing before, to London, Brighton, New York. Why are you not having it here in Belfast? And that suddenly pulled everyone up sharp. And over the period of the next six weeks, we put it together and then we put the first bride on in June 1991.
1: And who were the people involved and what sort of background did they have? All of them
0: volunteers. Um, in terms of numbers, people came out because it was a committee. So but I looked last night, and we were talking about people like Pierre McLaughlin, there was Tom McAllister, Brian Mulcahy, and Ross, Andrew Wakefield, Sean McGorn, Jeff Dudgeon, Niall Gillespie, and a lot of others, and there were other women as well. So it was a hodgepodge of people, but all of them volunteers, all from different backgrounds. In the case of Jeff Dudgeon, he had just gone through the courts and got the decision, legal decision said that we were perfectly valid.
1: 1991, that's it's 31 years ago, if my math, mathematics are correct. Uh, it's, it's not really that long ago. Certainly, it's well within my lifetime. But it was a very different time, clearly. To set the picture, how many people would have been on that
0: march? Depending on who you see as the reporting, between 50 to 120 I think we started off probably about the 50 number, but as we did the march, people drifted and came onto it. So probably between 100 and 120 by the end.
1: That's not a lot of
0: people. No, and you very much stood out when you're walking down that road and you're escorted by the police. And the only thing that we had was, at the start, was a car at the front with uh, two speakers putting out music because the double open double-deck bus that we ordered didn't turn up. And much later on. Did you feel very exposed on that march? What were, what, were, what
1: were the sensations?
0: Well, you are exposed. I mean, you're, you're making a, a, a demonstration. You're making, saying, we're here, we're entitled to be here. But the marches that are used to people are used to seeing in Belfast at that stage were the 12th and various other things. So you stood out.
1: And did you feel, I mean, what was the reaction of the people, I mean, of the people watching, of the people?
0: Surprise, um, some disbelief. Most of the shoppers just basically got on with their shopping. They weren't uh, involved as such, because this was the first march. They didn't know who we were. They didn't know what we were talking about. They hadn't been educated about it. And the papers, as I said before weren't very supportive of us.
1: So perhaps I mean I may have had a preconception that you'd have been walking into this cauldron of of aggression, but perhaps that that that's I've gone awry in that. So is it more disinterest and more and more
0: ignorance? Uh, ignorance. Uh, there was some degree um a, sort of aggression because there was a group of. Um, religious people at the corner of, the, um, of a city hall, about 40 with large placards. Um, but the march itself had been rerouted within two days prior to the actual march because the police had been told, and therefore they had told us, there had been a, a, a large demonstration was going to be organised by fundamentalist religious groups that was the phrase that was used Um, so they reorganised the march which meant that we didn't go anywhere near them I see I mean were you intimidated by
1: these groups I mean were you scared in general
0: not scared apprehensive because at the end of the day I think everyone is not you don't know what's going to be the outcome of this what impact it's going to have on your life, what impact it's going to have on your job possibly what impact it's going to have on your relationships. So I think everyone has got that in the background of mind, certainly in those days, because there was no uh, protection under the law as such. Even though we had the law passed with Jeff Dudgeon, there still was no protection in terms of your employment law. There were still other things that went on that they could use, various groups could use against you, and there were certain elements within the police at that stage were still anti-gay
1: I suppose public perceptions and the how the gay community is, is projected back I suppose in the media have, has changed, what was the reaction of the media to Pride in 1991 and what was the media coverage like?
0: Media coverage was minimal um, we had produced our own magazine after it which was uh, upstart special with photographs and art, which I had done, the photographs, we wrote our own articles, we submitted them to the various papers. There was a little bit of take up, but not much, and there was very little take up in terms of the TV and radio. Not like this last year, as an example, was very wide coverage. Brilliant atmosphere in the centre of Belfast today for the parade the biggest, most colourful parade that we have
2: in Belfast and this really shows that we're moving forward on a city of inclusion, of rights,
0: of equality people here today are demand their rights and their equality and a city of inclusion and sanctuary and I'm glad it's
1: the mark John O'Doherty, Pride has grown so much since 1991 have there been spurts or has it always grown gradually or have we seen huge growths over a short period of time?
2: Yeah, I think it has been relatively organic over the years, certainly for the first uh, 20-plus years of Belfast Pride. It was a relatively organic growth as our community became more visible, something that Pride really helped with, Um, as well as new groups popping up and more people wanting to get involved in the actual movement.
0: It's the biggest parade the North ever has throughout the whole of the year and I think this year is even bigger and better.
2: What we have seen over the last five years is more statutory organisations, more private companies and lots more non-LGBT specific community groups have sought to be part of the festival and, and to celebrate along with our community.
1: So even, I suppose, in your own time, which would be over 10 to 15 years. You must have seen a great change in in Pride, and not only Pride, but how the gay community is perceived and and how the gay community can live.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, my first Pride uh, that I attended about 20 years ago was the after party was in Ryder Square, and there was about 150 of us sitting on the ground after the parade. Now what we have is a massive concert in Custom House Square with tens of thousands of people attending. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind there's never been a better time to be an LGBTQIA plus person in Northern Ireland. So I don't think there's any comparison between 1991 and 2022. Other than Pride Remains a Protest, it is the uh, main day of the year where our community can come together, speak collectively with a single voice on the inequalities that impact in our community, the sort of change we want to see within our community, uh, the role we want to see LGBTQI plus people play within our society and how we want to see society change.
1: It, it went from, someone, yeah. from something very voluntary to something very big. But some people might see it as pride as very corporate today. Is that
2: fair? I mean, I think people often forget that Belfast Pride is entirely run by volunteers. Belfast Pride have zero staff. Every single thing you see within the festival is delivered by a volunteer. Uh, Belfast Pride also receives very little public funding. My understanding is this year Belfast Pride has received about eighteen thousand pound from Belfast City Council. The festival itself is going to cost around about hundred thousand pound to deliver. So eighty two thousand pound of that um, has been gathered by volunteers um, from within. Belfast Pride to ensure that the festival is able to happen at the scale and with the focus on uh, health and safety that Belfast Pride takes so seriously. So I think it's easy to assume that there's a lot of money that there's a lot of corporate uh, from the outside, but I think the reality for Belfast Pride um, is that a very small number of volunteers do an awful lot of work to ensure that Belfast Pride happens and that it is as successful, as safe, and as big a celebration as it actually is.
1: And sometimes, Terry, whenever you, whenever I've spoken to people who were who were involved in great social changes or a movement, etc especially people who were there in the beginning in that small cadre of people who decided to make a great change, whenever that movement grows, whenever it becomes massive, sometimes there can be a strange emotion of alienation there. Do you, do you, do you feel that in any way when you see Pride today or, 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 or is that simply wouldn't be the case? Is it simply a success story?
0: There's always, change happens, no matter where you're working in, um, whether it be in terms of, like, pride or in your work environment, such like, and there'll be ups and downs. Um, The groups that I was a volunteer member of has been superseded by the change and needs of the society today, i.e. the LGBT society. Um, It's not bad, it's just different. I want to go back, maybe, if I can... To before
1: 1991, before Pride, before this public display, before this, before this, this dander through Belfast saying we are here, we exist, and we we have the right to exist, and we have rights, or we should have rights. I mean, what existed for the gay community in Belfast before the 1990s?
0: Probably from about the early 80s, mid 80s, you saw a slow, not an explosion, but uh, people tapping into what to use to raise the gay market as it was but it wasn't a particularly large gray market but things went on for instance um delaney's restaurant which uses now where cafe areas round in rosary street um they used to run a friday night disco and once um, a month there'd be a ladies disco only um you had the limelight was running one night a week which was a gay disco you had the Crow's Nest was operating as a bar, but was accepting the gays. And one night a week, it was uh, upstairs would have been a gay disco.
1: And would that have been advertised as such, or would, it, or would you had
0: to have been in the know? It wouldn't have been advertised as such. So there were leaflets, and certainly our magazine Upstart Update, uh, Niagara News, we published that information, but you wouldn't have found that information by looking in the Belfast telegraph or the Sunday news or such like.
1: I see. And as, as a person experienced, I suppose, in, the, in this period and in the period before, I mean, what was it like to be a gay man in, in, in Northern Ireland, in Belfast, in, in that period? And, and how do you imagine it compares to today?
0: People were very retrospective about the fact of being, that they were gay. And in most cases, they weren't gay and out. There were some that were, and obviously the leaders in it, but there were a lot of people who weren't. And that's to do with society, as I mentioned before, with the fact that the law may have changed, but people's attitudes hadn't changed. The attitudes inside the media hadn't changed. The attitudes with our politicians hadn't changed. Lots, right? They still haven't. So people were retrospect about coming out. Um, they go to the disco's not, but it was all done quietly. Um Certainly, we had the Carpenter Club, and at that stage, you're still talking about security gates around Belfast. So, if you come down into Belfast at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the evening, and going to the, as it was the Carpenter Club, you had to go through the security gates. Now. There's not very many places open at 8 o'clock at night. And what are you doing at 8 o'clock in, a, in the city centre during the period of the Troubles when we we're still talking about bombs going off and shootings and that? The question is therefore in the people's mind whether it be the police or whether it be the soldiers on the gates. They all know where people were going.
1: Did the RUC at that stage interfere with the gay community?
0: The RUC, depending on which police station you're involved in. So, you have to understand the RSE's culture was controlled and based from what was led by the politicians to a degree. There's no way out of that. There were certain superintendents who because of their own um, religious background were anti-gay in any shape or form and so therefore you would have certain things led by them to uh, try and hit the community. Now, generally speaking, the there was not anything done towards a, a carpenter club or lime that. The only time the police would turn up is if there were they had generally speaking something that was concrete. But on going outside that, unfortunately, you understand the word cottaging. I've heard of the term, but okay, if, if you want explaining. to, okay. Were it's where certain gay men not very many would use the toilets to try and meet people now a lot of times the people who were doing this were not out in the community uh, so it was a method of trying to find a partner to have some friendship or relief with and then they disappear back to wherever the household uh, is and that could have been out in the country now the police obviously that, that was against the law so but they would set up sting operations in those toilets, or whichever methods, or it could have been the, um, a small forest or wood, whatever whatever means that the police saw as this going on. When people got caught in this, then they prosecuted as far as they could to the fullest extent of the law. And certainly, the media then were getting the the nod by the RUC, that this case is coming up in the court. So they were made certain that they were there to publish their names and such like, and the amount of suicides and problems that people had afterwards because of this. Yes, there was a problem there.
1: If we look at the economics of Pride today and how the commercial world respond to Pride, do you think it's been commercialised and do you think that's to the detriment of, 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 of gay rights or do you think it's a positive thing?
0: Yes, it is commercialized, but it's not commercialized to the detriment of the underlying message. Pride is there to make people realize that we should have pride in ourselves, that we are we're we part of the community, and that other people should accept us so who we are. The commercialization is only there to enable us to do that. More commercialization in some respect, the bigger the pride march there is, more impact we have. More people then become more accepting, hopefully, of what we are and who we are. John, is pride just
1: as important today as it was?
2: I mean, you just need to look across our society, look across our media, and particularly social media, and you'll see why pride still matters. Many LGBTQI plus people still face stigma, still face shame in relation to their sexual orientation or gender identity. Pride is simply about that. It is about ensuring pride within our community, pride within our identities, pride within um, everything that we do as LGBTQI plus people and recognising the important role that we play within society.
1: And Terry, do you think the, the history of Pride in Belfast should be better known?
0: There's very little written about our history. You're looking for it. You don't see our history. No Land Museum has got two items on display in their suit, in their cases. They've uh, done one or two things in terms of um, things in relation to the community. Lindenhall Library has got a large archive, uh, which is there and it has been used. And so is Prony. They've got a massive library now, a lot of which has been donated from P.A. McLaughlin and his family and other people, and Jeff Dudgeon. That history needs to be explored. Now, it's been explored by people doing master's degrees. But it needs to go lower than that. We need to be talking about this inside schools. People need to realise this is just as much a valid part of history as the 12th or any other pieces of history in Northern Ireland.
1: What more is there to be achieved? What more would you like to see?
0: To my mind, the LGBTQ2 plus community has not achieved all it needs to. Whilst we still must have conversations about coming out, whilst people from all sections of the community do not feel safe, look at the growth of various attacks and homophobia over the last few years, report it in your own papers and nationally. Whilst our history is hidden and not allowed to be discussed, look how long it's taken for recognition of Alan Turing as an example. We've only just had our first male professional footballer come out Jake Daniels and a game of five thousand registered players. We also need to have further treatment in all aspects of life. We should not need to keep coming out. Heterosexuals don't. So, John, do you
1: do you feel there's a debt owed to those first marchers?
2: We all owe a huge debt to all those pioneers from within our community who brought the Pride movement to Northern Ireland and to the streets of Belfast. Something that hadn't happened up until that time It's a very brave thing to do, and certainly there were very small numbers of them, much smaller than anything that we see today, but it really sparked off a belief in and a commitment to the Pride movement for us here in Northern Ireland, which 30 years later, we're seeing numbers of 70,000 plus attending Belfast Pride, none of which would be possible without those early pioneers, those early leaders uh, within our community. And I think it's a debt that can never be repaid. Or do I assume they would ever want it repaid? Uh, I think they've certainly made their mark on history. And finally,
1: John, for people who have never been to Pride, what can they expect?
2: They can expect a lot of fun. They can expect a lot of colour. They can expect the city to be buzzing with people and buzzing with excitement. The actual parade itself goes through the city centre and after that there are a range of events on across the city including um, an event at Belfast City Hall in partnership with Vila, which is Vila Rocks Pride. Um, We also have Custom House Square. We're going to have a big concert with all local bands, local artists and drag queens. And then we also have our family village. Where there'll be a range of community sector organisations and others with information, support, and advice for LGBTQI families. We'll have bouncy castles, face painting, people from the circus school doing entertainment. There's literally something for everybody when it comes to Belfast Pride.
1: Terry, John, thank you. This episode of the Belltale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar, sound designed by Graham Davidson. The clips were from Culture NI. The BBC, Pride NA, and Sinn Féin. When you get an Irish Independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a 75 euro O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kitten caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent.